Hi, I'm Lindsay Pugh. And I'm Joe Nesterook. Welcome to the Woman in Revolt podcast. Today we are talking about a newer movie that came out in 2022. It's called Tar, and it is written and directed by Todd Field. And oh man, do we have a lot of thoughts on this one. I'm telling you, just hang on, because we were just talking about this briefly before we started recording, and we're both angry as hell. (laughs) Yeah, we are both very angry, and that's not to say that we totally hated this movie, uh, but we have a lot of criticisms of it, and I haven't really honestly read that many reviews, but I think that the way I feel and the way Joe feels is probably contrary to popular opinion. Based on my brief glance, do you think that's accurate, Joe? I think that's accurate. I have looked at some reviews. I would say probably uh, a majority of them have been more positive than the way that I feel about the film. It seems to almost be like you either love it or hate it. And I'm kind of in the middle of the road, maybe a little bit, I would say hate it, but I have some problems with it and more so didn't love it as much as a lot of people. Same. And maybe to whet your appetite, I would tell you one of our controversial takes up front, but you'll have to keep listening to hear us talk about it more in depth. So I think our most controversial take is that we don't think Kate Blanchett is very good in this and are totally mystified as to why she is getting so much praise for this role. And that is not to shit on Kate Blanchett, who we have liked in other things. It's just to say that this role ain't it. So... I haven't seen anyone else really talking so much about her performance in more critical terms. So we're going to try to do that in this conversation. That's it. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be spicy. So everybody strap in. Yeah. So I thought maybe up front we could talk a little bit about how this film seems like it is a biopic, right? Like if you just came into Mm -hmm. it and you didn't know anything about it, you could think it is a biopic, especially because it starts off with that Adam Gopnik conversation. And I guess I'm curious, are there any other are there any other films, I guess biopic or not, that remind you of this film that you can think of? Oh, 
Gosh, um, it, it does start in a unique way. I know there has to be some films out there that I've seen that may start like that, where it almost feels like a, you know, like a biography or, or of someone, but I, I can't think of anything at the top of my head right now that starts it exactly like this one starts with the interviews and the radio. And it was kind of, at first I was like, what's going on? I don't, you know, what's happening here? And we were kind of bouncing around a little bit, but. Yeah, it drops you immediately into an interview with this person that you have not really been introduced to yet. And it assumes, it does give you a bunch of biography about her to start, but it feels like it's assuming that you already know things about her or that she is somehow, you know, in your collective imagination or periphery. And I think that that maybe is what creates the feeling of like, okay, this is a person you should know. This is a person in the popular culture Mm -hmm. or in the culture of people who are fans of symphony orchestra music or whatever. Exactly. I mean, the first thing I did, honestly, when I first, because I didn't know anything about this movie, I went into it stone cold. And the first thing I did when I first started watching it is I looked up Lydia Tarr. I'm like, is this a real person? Like, yeah, is she for real? And uh, then I was like, I saw it was fictional. I'm like, okay, but it made me think she was real at first, right right at the beginning. Yeah, I think that's a totally reasonable assumption based on how the film presents itself and also just the film is constantly referencing other classical musicians, other composers. It places Lydia Tarr, who is at the center of this film, it places her with these other people who are in the same sphere. So I think it does a good job of like creating an illusion that this is very much a person who exists, even though it is a fiction film. I think in that way, it reminded me a little bit of Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread, another movie that I actually really felt kind of similarly about um, and would would probably be interesting to talk about in relation to this one. But it's been a while since I've seen it. And maybe we'll do that at some point. Maybe we will talk about that film because I think a lot of the problems I had with this one, I also had with that one. Mm. Yeah, that would be interesting. Very interesting. Well, maybe we, I feel like we've done a bad job. Or I've done a bad job of this, but let's maybe get just into the synopsis right off the bat. And then we can talk a little bit more about some of our initial impressions and what we thought about Kate Blanchett and just like some of the challenges that come with making a movie about a problematic female figure, whether she is real or fiction. Mm -hmm. So to give you some idea of what this film is about, although you probably already know and you should just watch the trailer, uh, it's about a super important and revered conductor named Lydia Tarr, played by Kate Blanchett. She's definitely a tightly wound narcissist. And the only time we ever really see her show pure emotion is toward her daughter, Petra whom she shares with her wife, Sharon, played by Nina Haas. And Sharon is the orchestra's concert master. She is the first violinist, and she's Lydia's right-hand woman. And as we come to learn, she is the one who helped Lydia go from guest conductor to principal conductor at the Berlin Orchestra. 
So she's very crucial to Lydia's success and development professionally, and they are also in a romantic relationship. So over the course of the film, you slowly begin to realize that Lydia has been abusing or is accused of abusing the young woman, the young women around her, stringing them along with either promises of career advancement or just using them sexually and taking advantage of their time or even their talent. Her personal assistant, Francesca, played by Naomi Merlan, puts up with a bunch of crazy shit because she hopes that one day Lydia will make her assistant conductor. And her wife is definitely privy to her affairs with other women, but again, she likes being in Lydia's sphere and she seems willing to overlook a lot of things as long as they don't encroach on her family life. There is one woman named Krista who we only ever see from behind and in Lydia's anxiety nightmares who has apparently stepped out of line and suffered career consequences as a result at Lydia's hand. And when she commits suicide, these accusations surface about Lydia. Lydia spirals downward and she loses all of the prestige she worked so hard to gain. So it is a story about a female megalomaniac and someone who is brought down by accusations of sexual assault, sexual misconduct. Very intriguing. Yes, it's a lot. I love the premise. I love the premise. I love the premise too. And I immediately knew that I would have to see this and that it would be polarizing. I had not seen any of Todd Field's other films, so I didn't have any idea of what he was like as a writer-director, and I just had no idea what to expect going into this. Right. I can honestly say I do not know that much about him. I think it's like, was his last film like 13 years ago? It was in 2006. And it seemed like it garnered a lot of awards. It seems like when he does do a film, it's expected to be great. Like, it gets awards, it gets attention, and but it does seem like there are there is a good bit of time between his films. Yes, and he started out as an actor. So again, I don't know too much about him. I've kind of purposefully not really read a ton about him or about the film, but I do know him from Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut. He is the piano player who gives Tom Cruise the password to the masked party. So he had a whole career as an actor. He's been in many films and then got into directing. And I'm not sure, did you, Joe, read anything about why it took him so long to make another film? I wonder if he had proposed things and just had trouble getting them greenlit or like what was happening, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I didn't read that. The, the, one of the things I thought was interesting was he really had a history with Kubrick. I think that was a big influence on him in some way. That's what I read one thing about him, but I did not really find anything of saying what he'd been doing in between the lapses or, you know, what was going on with it. Yeah, I believe he considered Kubrick to be a mentor, a, f a filmmaking mentor, and right. I don't know... Again, I'm like filling in the pieces based on disparate like Wikipedia pages, but I feel <laughs> like maybe did Kubrick get him into directing or steer him toward that path or something? 
I'm sure, you know. So, yeah, know that we're going into this not really too familiar with him at all, having not seen his other films. So this is really our first impression of him as a director. And I will say that even though I have polarizing or not polarizing, I have complex feelings about this film, I will go back and watch his other two because I am interested to see if those help me get a rounder idea of what he's all about and what he's trying to accomplish. And I'm trying to give him a little bit of a benefit of the doubt just because I don't have that background knowledge. But I think also most viewers probably don't have that background knowledge. So, yeah, he's just not been that prolific. So you can really get a good timeline with what is going on with him. So, yeah, I think a watch of his other films would definitely be something I'd like to do. It's got me curious for sure. Yeah, same. And I think that maybe it would be interesting. One thing I want to get out of the way, maybe up front, because when somebody says they don't like something, I feel like there's this impulse to counter, especially with this type of film. So you say you don't like tar. I feel like the impulse is to say, well, you just don't like seeing women fuck up or women make bad decisions or women be evil or maniacal or whatever. And I want to just say that that is not the case here. I like seeing women be evil. I like seeing women fuck up. I like seeing women get to make mistakes and hopefully learn from them, but maybe not. So it's not a sense of it's not a it's not a case of me not wanting to see that. There's something deeper at play here that makes this movie disturbing on different levels and I think maybe even a little bit ignorant to the discussion of sexual misconduct, cancel culture, Me Too, all of these issues that are at the heart of it while not ever really fully acknowledged in the world of the film. It is definitely for me not about, oh, this puts women in a bad light. We can't have a woman doing terrible things. I mean, women are human beings. And I love a good fucked up woman as much as anyone, but I just feel like this film was really muddy in its message. And I do believe that the material that it was dealing with, especially in this day and time when women are having so the the little bitty rights that we've scratched and clawed to get taken away from us so easily, I just feel like that this was uh, some a very super sensitive subject, and it needed to be brought forward a little more clearly, and it wasn't. And that was my problem with it. I agree. And I think the other thing we were talking about before we started recording is that, can you fucking imagine a woman director and writer getting to make this movie? Because I can't. Like, I can't imagine it. It has a almost... Well, I would say it has a predominantly female cast, definitely a female protagonist. I just can't see any world in which a woman gets to write and direct this type of movie, and especially not at a runtime of, what is this, like two and a half hours? Oh, yeah, fuck Would it never happen? No way. And I found 
the screenplay, I found Todd Field's screenplay online and I started to read it. I did not finish it, but I I thought I wanted to um, just mention one thing that he had at the very beginning of it. Let me just get it. Oh, God damn it. I might have to just read it from my computer. But it's essentially this little prologue to the screenplay saying that you know, based on the script's page count, you might think that this is not that long of a movie, but I really need time to develop it and to make sure that what is on the page is represented properly. And so if you're not prepared enough to greenlight this film, be prepared for one whose necessary length represents those practical accommodations. Wow. Which, again, can you imagine a woman fucking saying that? Like, pat yourself on the back, dude. <laughs> like, I know you might think this screenplay is pro- is not that long, but I'm going to need all the time in the world to make it exactly what I want it to be. So if you don't want to do that, like, don't green light it, okay? You know, that's how it reads. Honestly, if a woman did this film, it would be it would have to be shot for a hundred thousand dollars on eight millimeter film and it would open like at the smallest theater in New York and be gone. I mean, this is Yeah. He, he was he was definitely uh able to take advantage of his privilege to get this film made. Absolutely. And we should also mention that he wrote this film. He wrote this role of Lydia Tarr with Kate Blanchett in mind, and then, of course, she ended up playing that role. So it really does feel like he got everything he fucking wanted when he made this film. I'm sure he would not agree with that, but it really does feel like the cards coming together. And now this is getting so much Academy Award nod, praise, blah blah. I'm sure Kate Blanchett will win, and you know whatever the fuck, it's it'll it'll have a lot of accolades by the end of award season. Oh yeah, this is something I think that the Academy lives for. You know, first of all, it's a movie about lesbians. Oh, we all love lesbians. Let's clap our hands. This is great. It's got Kate Blanchett. Well-known actress, she's going to get the nod. This guy hasn't made a film in 13 years, but his last film got a bunch of awards too. So I'm sorry, I have to think to myself, when he was writing this, I, 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 I hate to question someone's motivations, especially when I don't know that much about them, but just from stepping in on the outside, I mean, my first, after seeing this film, one of my first things and was, was this written with this in mind? Like, I'm going to write something that's going to win me Academy Awards and give a good message, but I'm going to, you know, it just seemed like there was a pressure for him. Maybe he gets everything he wants because the few movies that he he has done has been so well received and critically praised. Yeah, I know. I think that's totally it. I think it's like, fuck this. I'm going to win an Academy Award and you know how I'm going to do it. Kate Blanchett, everyone loves her. Let's put her in this movie. Let's make her a lesbian so that the Academy Award can say, pat, 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 oh, look, we love queer people. Here's a lesbian movie winning whatever award. And then not only that, but it can be, oh, it's a it's a really progressive look at how women, when they come into power, behave just as poorly as men. Oh, it flips the gender dynamics and Look how it skewers popular perception of what women are and what men are. And ooh, ah, it's like it gives people in decision making positions who, let's face it, are usually white men 
it gives them the guise of like progressivism or something. It allows them to like a thing that is actually pretty regressive, but for them to believe that it is saying something important and progressive. It's like, it's like uh, so just kind of disgusting. It's like, it's like intellectual masturbation level bullshit. I mean, in, in defense of the film, I know a lot of people have said that they, he, the vision apparently was trying, like you said, to say, we're trying to empower women and show that this, we're all ready for women that behave like this and we can all acknowledge it and blah, blah, blah. But once again, I just have to go back to women have only had any chance at power like in the last 35 to 40 years to be able to even attempt to, in any realistic way, climb a corporate ladder or try to bust open the glass ceiling. And I would say that we are still woefully, woefully, woefully short of doing that. So I don't know that, that, we're, that we're ready for this type of film. I don't think that public perception is going to understand a murky message and it actually, for me, sends a very wrong message of, oh, it's not so bad and things are great now so we can make a film like this when things are worse than they've been in a long time. Totally. It's like laughable that a, at this point in time, it's laughable that a woman would be able to rise to power within a classically male structure of symphony music and get to the point where she would even have the chance at abuse. We are so far from right. that even being a possibility at all that it's just like, what are you saying with this messaging? What is the messaging? What is the message? And I'm, it's not that every movie has to have a message because I've already talked about how I kind of hate that. Like movies can just be movies and they can just be fun. But I think that when you are dealing with subject matter this serious and when you are dealing with gender dynamic issues and sexual politics and sexual identity, you have to be careful with how you tread because people are going to see this and they are going to interpret it a certain way. And I think that as a filmmaker, you do have some responsibility, not that you should be trying to cater to public perception or kowtow to it. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that I think those things ought to be considered because they are going to have an impact based on this thing that you've made and put into the world. And I don't feel like there was a lot of consideration given. What he was trying to say, I just, I think it, it needed, if you're going to try to make a statement that broad about women, you need a woman at the helm, in my opinion, because this is a very, very delicate subject. And just right now, if if I, as a white woman director, I would not try to go in and make a movie about uh, an indigenous person's experience or a black woman's experience. I could talk to a thousand people and and get all this input on it. But how could I truly bring forth this experience when there's no way I can live it or have it? That's just my thing. And I'm not saying that, okay, men should only make movies about men and women should only make movies about women. I'm not saying that. I'm saying in this particular film, 
the way that he set it up, he put it out there that this is what this film is going to be about. And just the this particular film, I just feel like could have been better guided under a woman's influence. Right. And you were saying how, you know, you wouldn't try to write and direct a movie about an indigenous woman's experience. Okay, so what would be even more insulting and what I feel Todd Field is doing with this movie is if you said, oh, no, I'm going to write and direct a movie about an indigenous woman's experience, but we're not actually going to consider her experience. We're just going to make her an indigenous woman and then she's going to just do whatever the fuck we want her to do. And we're not even going to consider how her being indigenous and her being a woman play in to her decision-making process or her experiences, how she sees the world around her, et cetera. Like, we're just going to ignore all of that because in the world of the film that we're making, we want to just think that that shit doesn't really exist or isn't really that important. So let's just, you know, it's it's fine. We're just not even going to touch it. And, and you had said earlier, we both had a problem with Kate Blanchett's performance. So I'm just going to jump off this diving board right now into that maybe a little bit prematurely, but I think what you just said taps into why I felt for me her performance was lacking is I think it was one dimensional and it came from that attitude and that direction of I I have a statement to make and he just flowed this one dimensional thing right into her and I didn't see any nuances of her even even a narcissist can have different nuances and her performance to me just left me flat. It totally did. Yeah. I I think that we were talking about this also earlier, how Sharon, so Nina Haas, who plays Sharon, Lydia's wife, she brings a lot of dimension to what is a smaller role. She doesn't have a lot of dialogue, but you get a lot of emotion from her face. You understand that there's internal processing happening. You can figure out where she is emotionally by looking at her and by feeling either what she's saying or she's not saying. Whereas Kate Blanchett plays Lydia as so tightly wound, so emotionally closed off, so unwilling to even indulge herself by allowing her to spend time considering what is happening or to discuss it with anyone. Like there just really aren't many opportunities for you to feel her humanity. Mm -hmm. And again, like, okay, so you could say, well, she's a person who is potentially, uh, you know, abusing these women and abusing her power and we don't want to create empathy with that type of person because that could send the wrong message. And I'm not necessarily even arguing really for empathy. I'm just arguing for some idea of what is going on internally with Lydia, which I don't really feel like we get. And when we do get it, I feel like it's poorly done in a way that is maybe not even what the director intends, but it comes off in a very specific way. And I'm thinking of the neighbor in the apartment where mm. Lydia has as her practice space. Again, I'm like, I feel like you're going off on a billion tangents, but I did want to get your take on that, how you interpreted Lydia's interactions with that neighbor who has been taking care of her dying mother and Lydia's been annoyed by noises coming from that apartment and 
she has a couple of confrontations, interactions with these people that to me came off very much as Lydia being disgusted by them, being disgusted by their humanity, being disgusted by their needs, being disgusted by this woman dying in this apartment and the gross, the gross need of having to care for another human. I mean, what did what did you think about that? Yeah, that was pretty horrific to me. I mean, I have been a caretaker for my mother. And so that really hit home. And I it was very it just I don't know if that was meant to show her character as just being a true narcissistic, cold-blooded, horrible person. I don't know if it was somehow trying to connect into something that happened to uh, Lydia or Linda, which was her real name. We find out at the end of the film that she kind of came from what I would say was poor to lower middle class people. which apparently she was very ashamed of. I don't know if that whole experience reminded her of something she grew up in and she had totally changed herself into someone else and could not, it was almost like maybe holding a mirror up in front of her. I don't know, but it was very, that was disturbing. I mean, there were definitely certain scenes of the film that touched me and disturbed me and I didn't think the entire film was bad, but that was definitely one that got under my skin. Same. And I didn't know. I thought, okay, so if I'm being, if I'm trying to be impartial and say, what did Todd Field want to convey with those scenes with the neighbor? I think he did want to show Lydia feeling shame or disgust at being confronted with something that was more like her upbringing. I think, I think that was the goal. Right, right. But to me, it just felt like a judgment of these people for being middle class, for having needs, for being human and letting their humanness be on display. Right. It felt judgmental in a way that I think if you're trying to shade Lydia a little bit, which, like I said, I think that's what he was trying to do. If you're trying to add shading to her character, I don't think it can just be discussed. It has to be something more there. Like, it's it's not, it's, I, I can say it's not just a shame or, or a disgust. It, it's, there's more complexity there. That's like taking what is a very complex situation and making it very, like, one-dimensional and banal. And it's not. It's interesting. But none of those threads came through for me. And same, same with the scene you mentioned where Lydia, <laughs> a.k.a. Linda, is at her childhood home and we're supposed to get something from that, right? She's crying. She's watching that uh, video of, is it is it Leonard Bernstein con- conducting? She's yeah. watching that video and she's crying and you know she's feeling something, but what is she really feeling? Are the tears for herself or what are the, you know, it's it, it's all a little, I didn't feel like it really came together for me. There's such a way of conveying a really big part of someone and just, like you said, a look or just a a 30-second scene of her seeing something and having a reaction on her face. And I just felt like, I felt like Kate put on a mask and just this like a, a mask you would see at a party and it never came off. Like we never got to see anything beyond 
just this uh, crude, well, not crude, but I would say cold-blooded person. And I know that she was, I know that's what a narcissist is, but I felt like that, like you said, it can be, even a narcissist can be fleshed out in a very interesting way. And it just, it wasn't done here that way. No, it wasn't. And I think, I I will even say, I think that some of those scenes that were in there to try to potentially humanize Lydia just added to the feeling of flatness and of her not really having much of a discernible personality or interiority or something. You know, it's like they just highlighted how, I don't know, they just highlighted how how alien and how flat she is. They didn't add anything to our understanding of her or her background. Mm-hmm. And I thought, like, there's some other minor characters who didn't get as much screen time, but you felt you understood them a lot more, right? Like, I felt like I understood right. Olga a lot more. I felt like I understood Sharon a lot more, even though they didn't talk as much. I mean, you see Lydia give these huge fucking monologues, and of course, yeah, they're performative, but... Ugh. They are so meaningless as to who she is and where she's from and how she became who she is. There's so many missing pieces. Right. With Lydia, for me, eventually, it just became like she was up on stage in a Shakespearean tragedy, just blah, 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 blah. I mean, I took in what she was saying, but like you said, with Sharon, especially with Olga. I would say Olga was probably one of my favorite characters played by Sophia Krauer, K-A-U-E-R. She she didn't have that much screen time, but just the way she portrayed that character, I instantly knew who she was. You could see it developing. It just came across. You thought, oh, this is going to be someone else that Lydia is going to be manipulating and this, that. And she turned the tables and completely manipulated Lydia. And that that part I liked. That was a good thing. I, I got that from that. And her performance was great. But when it goes back to Kate, I don't know, maybe just because this seemed to be a tour de force for her, that it just almost became um, just too much. Just she something needed to be dialed back and we needed more subtle tones in the performance. That's my opinion. Like I loved so talk speaking of Olga, I loved the scene where she goes to lunch with Lydia and Lydia's talking about all the famous people who've eaten in this same place, like Beethoven and I forget who else. But Olga is like, yeah, and Clara Zetkin and Lydia's like doesn't know who that is and uh, so Olga explains it to her and she's like, oh, no, she, you know, she founded the Social Democratic Women's Movement. And then she mentions that every March 8th, they place flowers on her grave. And again, Lydia's like, OK, is that the day she died or like her birthday? And Olga's like, it's International Women's Day. Yeah. And Lydia didn't know that. And Olga had to explain that to her like she was, you know, a dumb fuck. <laughs> and I thought I loved that scene because then yeah. later... You come to learn that Olga is probably the one who has been live streaming and tweeting about just basically how try hard and pretentious Lydia is. Yeah. 
And you find out that, yeah, Olga was just using Lydia to get what she wanted. She was she knew what was going on the whole time. She was not being puppeted. She was privy to what Lydia was trying and she was playing the game as well. And she was playing it better. And so I thought that that was a smart way to set up that side of her character. Like, you know, right away, like this bitch knows when International Women's Day is. She knows who Clara Zetkin is like she's not going to play this game. She's going to be smarter than that. And she was smarter than that. So I think that's, I don't want to be long-winded, but I think that's the way that that Todd Field is showing us what this character is about in a very simple way and in a very simply written scene that conveys a lot. And I can't really think of an equivalent that we get for Lydia. I love that scene. That was wonderful. And I loved how that developed. So there were parts of the film that were brilliant little pieces of filmmaking. That's why I don't totally hate this film. For me, I think this would have been a much better, well-rounded film if Kate Blanchett's role would have been cut back just a little. I mean, we have a lot of her on there and it just seems like I see the nuances of other people, so I know that this director has the capability to bring nuance to people and to be able to tell a story in a way that I discover it myself through these little clues, and it comes together great for me. Once again, I feel like, and we mentioned this earlier, I feel like that this was a movie that he was trying to make into a tour de force for Kate Blanchett, and that's fine, but I feel like that all the grandiose of her character got in the way of her character, Uh, and it it just became to where it was being pounded into my head, and I couldn't see the forest for the trees. I would have liked to have known maybe a little bit earlier that Lydia was really Linda and where she came from. I think that that would have helped me process some of the stuff that was going through the film instead of waiting till the very end. It was kind of anticlimactic for me. And we had mentioned, we just feel like that this film was done immediately knowing that, like another film, The Power of the Dog, which a lot of people loved and I think it won a bunch of awards and I never really cared for it because I felt like it was written to be an Academy Award garnering film and a just kind of like, look look over here, we're great, give us all the awards. And I feel like that that having to highlight Kate Blanchett's character over and over to achieve that hurt the film. I think so, too. I feel like it was just orchestrated to win Kate Blanchett an award, and she probably will win an award at the Oscars and many awards at other award shows. But if you take it all as a whole, I don't really feel like it is a performance that is conveying subtle nuance or things that don't come across on the page. To me, that's what a good actor does. I'm not an expert on performance or anything, but I think a good actor takes words on the page and interprets them in a way that you would not necessarily think they should or could be interpreted. It's the ability to bring to life an abstract idea that maybe the writer had in mind, but maybe they didn't. And I don't feel like there's really anything being added to this character that you couldn't just get on the page. Right. Other than, yeah, I will acknowledge Kate Blanchett looks cool as fuck. Oh, yeah. Love the scene where she's 
getting her bespoke suit made and her wardrobe is insane and beautiful and I love everything about it. And I think if I just was going to this movie not wanting to think too much about the dynamics of it, the messaging of it, I could maybe even just hold on to the two-hour, 30-minute runtime by seeing what outfits she's going to wear next. Absolutely. And we were talking earlier how really Kate Blanchett's character is almost like a real life or a, a fake Donna Tartt comparison. <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know, Donna Tartt reinvented herself when she was at school and, you know, came from a Southern background and this, that, and the other. And, but she turned herself into this mystery person and into a woman of intrigue and she got in, you know, she, and, and it's exactly Kate Blanchett's character, but it's not, maybe she could have drawn some inspiration from a little more inspiration from Donna Tartt, because as much as I loved her, her outfit and the way that she carried herself, and she's just a glorious human being and can pull that off, it just, just the rest of it fell flat for me. Even though, you know, I do, I have enjoyed so many Kate Blanchett roles over the years for sure, but this one just didn't do it. Yeah. And I will say, quick plug for the Once Upon a Time at Bennington College podcast, which talks about yes. Donna Tartt, Brett Easton Ellis, and Jonathan Lethem's time together at Bennington College. But yeah, what you said, I think, is is perfect. I think that the interesting thing about that podcast, even though it maybe crosses some lines, yeah, is that it gives you the background of Donna Tartt. It pulls back the curtain. It lets you see how Donna Tartt became Donna Tartt. And she started out as like Foghorn Leghorn a little bit. Yeah. You know, she came from the South, from a poor family, and she used suits and sharp bobs and literature and pretentiousness to build and craft this other alter ego person who she uses as part of her art and who honestly remains pretty elusive to the public. And she did remind me a lot of Lydia Tarr, but I, I thought that what makes her interesting or what made her interesting to me via that podcast was the background, mm -hmm. was the early stages, was seeing what led to her persona crafting. Right. That's why I said I think if if we could have been introduced to Linda Tarr instead of Lydia uh, much earlier in the film than right at the end, maybe I could have woven a little bit of that into it out of desperation to understand that where she was trying to come from. So I found myself a lot of times in this film and thinking about this film afterwards of trying to make up a lot of stuff in my head to make it more palatable for me. And so when you have to do something like that for yourself, that's when you know that you had trouble with the film. Yeah. And I think if I'm being generous on my second watch of this, I did pick up on a lot more discussion, eh, discussion's the wrong word, mentions, I guess, of little like Easter eggs hinting at gender dynamics or foreshadowing. Like, I think that, again, I, I guess I would say the writing is, is it, the writing is better to me than like the direction and the acting. I think the writing is putting a lot of ideas in there that maybe add more shading. Like, for example, they talk about 
Alma Mahler, uh, Gustav Mahler, the composer, his wife, who had like many affairs and a really interesting life. And she's mentioned, but your understanding of the conversation in which she is mentioned hinges on you understanding who she is. And I don't think, again, not that movies have to cater toward a popular audience or anything, but I think that if there are ideas you want to convey, you can't just convey them so subtly in a way that could easily be missed and could lead to rampant misinterpretation of your your work of art or your intentions. And I think that this film is just rife with opportunity for misinterpretation to take place because the direction of it is not clear enough. So I do think if I'm giving Todd Field the benefit of the doubt, I do think there's some stuff in there that is meant to give us a better understanding of potentially gender dynamics or like ways that people are perceived because of their gender. But I don't think like the actual visuals of the film or the plot or the characterization, I don't think that it's conveyed in any of those aspects. It's really only conveyed sometimes in the dialogue. And if you're not privy to what is happening, it's easy to miss. This film, the one thing I can say about this film, just thinking about it, is it has stuck with me. It's made me think. It's made me angry. It's made me wonder, am I getting the wrong message from this? Am I, what's going on? But I think the ultimate, and like I said, there's good things about this film. Definitely, there is. And I would highly encourage anyone to watch it. I think it's it's an interesting watch. And I think 20 years from now, it would be probably even a more interesting watch to go back and maybe see this again and where we are and what's going on. But I just think what it comes down to for me is in this day and time and where women are, if you're going to explicitly make a film with this type of subject matter, it needs to be crystal clear on what you're trying to say and what you're trying to tell people. It's it's too important to be, this is something too important to be left up in the air or trifled with. I think that that is where I'm coming from that. And maybe that's just a personal uh, bias that I have on it, but that, that's where I'm coming from on it. This movie almost wants to exist in a, in a world that is post-gender or post-misogyny or post-patriarchy or whatever. And We just don't live in that world. And honestly, we're never going to live in that world because misogyny and patriarchy are what our entire is what humankind is founded on and has always existed. And it's never going to be eradicated as much as that fucking sucks. It is, I think, just the truth. I mean, definitely in our lifetimes. So I think just to create this movie and to want it to be post-gender when we are very clearly in a moment where there is a great amount of attack on women is just not the vibe. I don't really know how else to say it. It kind of makes me think, okay, I know that that had to be some considerations for him. I think he was coming into this, the director, trying to make some type of statement. And I know that he wrote this film having Kate Blanchett in mind. He he basically, I read an interview or something where he said, if Kate Blanchett wasn't going to do the film, the film wouldn't be done. 
So this was basically written with her in mind. No one else. Forget it. Here we go. I mean, why do you think he chose her to do this? Why is this whole entire film based upon her tour de force acting in this? It's interesting because Kate Blanchett is very well liked by the popular audience as a performer, I think. I mean, she's been nominated for Academy Awards. Has she won any Academy Awards? Let's see. I think she did. Yeah. She won for Blue Jasmine for Best Actress in 2014, and then she won for Best Supporting Actress in 2005 for The Aviator, and she's been nominated other times as well. I did. I loved her in The Aviator. I'll just say that right now. I did not see that. I loved her in Carol. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I loved her in Notes on a Scandal. Uh, But I think that a thing that doesn't come up much in any circles I exist in, I guess, is the fact that Kate Blanchett is a major Roman Polanski apologist. She's a major Woody Allen apologist. She named her kid after Roman Polanski. And this is not me saying let's skewer a woman for supporting a man who's done shitty things, but this is me saying, okay, but I bet that was part of the consideration for why she should be cast in this type of role. It's hard not to think there is some parallel. You know, you have this woman who has stood up for these men who have done shit things and said a lot of uh, controversial and uh, internalized misogynistic type statements. And now you're putting her in this role where she's playing a lesbian who is in the position of those men who have made giant missteps, committed crimes, and done horrible things. And to me, that just is not a coincidence. I don't think there's any world in which that is a coincidence that feels intentional. And it, once again, makes me question, what is the true message of this film? What is this film trying to convey with with all of that in consideration? It, it, that's what keeps getting in my craw, as we would say from where I'm from. I just can't can't get past that. Yeah, I can't either. And again, I just want to say, it's not that every film has to have a message, <laughs> but this film very clearly does. Like, you cannot exist. You cannot create a film in a very polarizing environment about a very polarizing topic with a very polarizing protagonist and just say, oh, well, you know, we didn't want to consider these things. It's it's a messageless film. It's whatever you want it to be. Go ahead, audience, interpret. That's not acceptable to me. Right. <laughs> and it shouldn't be acceptable to anyone. We should all demand more than that. Oh, well, I know. <laughs> I'm just like, sometimes I felt like I was plotting through the film. This is me. I, I did feel that way. I I didn't do the second watch. Maybe that would have helped me to get more of the nuances in it. But I just feel like the film could have been a lot shorter. I feel like if the film had been shorter, if we could have gotten the message clearer and we could have gotten a little bit more nuanced into what makes what is trying to make Kate Blanchett's character ticked I think it would have turned the film around for me but like how many times can we watch her lie awake in bed go running go boxing work at her piano hear a noise in the middle of the night and go to inspect it have an anxiety dream 
Like, okay, we fucking get it. She's having some anxiety over this issue. Like, she's taking her wife's heart medication to try to calm down. And so she's clearly having some, like, stress and anxiety. And she knows that things are creeping up, I think, uh, regarding this woman named Krista. But instead of acknowledging it, she just buries it down deep and refuses to acknowledge it and keeps proceeding on as usual, thinking... I wondered, you know, is she thinking, oh, I'm so powerful that I can't get caught or I won't be held accountable? Or is she just so deeply compartmentalizing that she really is in denial about where this is going? It's like you you see evidence that she knows that this is getting worse, like her behavior. She's becoming more erratic and you can tell it's weighing on her. So I do think she knows. But how did you interpret that? Since our uh, former president was a narcissist, I've read a lot about narcissists just out of curiosity. And one thing that I do know is a narcissist sometimes doesn't have any rhyme or reason in what they do. They're basically just reacting to how others perceive them. So it could be where a lot of times there, maybe that's where the muddleness tried to come from was she wasn't acting in a responsible normal way because as a narcissist she has to react to how how people perceive her i don't know that that's kind of maybe where i thought that some of this was trying to come from but taking that out of the equation for me i couldn't it just seemed uh like she reacted just over and over and over the same way the same blank look. I just, I wasn't getting much out of it. It wasn't like it was building for me. Like, oh, this, oh my God, what's about to happen? You know, I was just like, where, where is this going to go? I, what? I don't, <laughs> where are we headed here? I just felt flat through the whole thing. And at the end for the big reveal, when we found out she was from this poor family in Louisiana or something, it just, I was like, oh, okay. Like it just, once again, it wasn't like, oh, oh, my God, that's where it all came from. It just didn't flow in for me at all. Yeah, it was. I think it was supposed to be Staten Island. Oh, Staten Island. Yeah. Because she took a cab. Oh, there. She, maybe, uh, maybe long, maybe even Long Island. I'm not oh, sure. That's right. She does. She wears a New York Rangers hat, which I think is like a yeah, say nod to her. <laughs> I'm yeah. I mean, it's it's really it's not like a super important part of it as much as the film wants us to believe it is like huh. it really doesn't reveal that much. Like, OK, so she created this persona for herself. But so what's under the persona? You know? Yeah, I just. Yeah, I mean, I do think it I think the film tries to build a little bit like I do think that as things start to escalate with her, I guess it's probably like her agency, whoever represents her once she starts to realize like, okay, fuck, I'm got I have to get a lawyer, I'm going to get deposed, I have to, you know, people are talking about this online, I guess you do see her potentially become a little bit more worried. But at the same time, as she's in New York and people are protesting her book reading, she's still trying to fuck this young cellist that she has been giving all these little opportunities to in order to try to entice her. So she's not she's not so afraid of what's happening that she's altering her behavior. She's just kind of on the single track mind of like, do the same thing, do the same thing, fuck people who I can get power over. Like, 
it doesn't it's not like it develops into more or you get a better understanding of why she's doing it it's just she remains kind of like you say almost just business as usual a little flat in the face of everything yeah i think it could have really been a a fascinating study of a narcissist and we we kind of went there we did i'll give him that we kind of went there but we didn't go there far enough or in a way that was brought about which is sad because I do, I did get nuance from the other characters. So I know it could have happened. But I think that this being a tour de force for Kate Blanchett got in the way of that. I agree. And I think like what you said earlier about how imagine if this movie was less Lydia Tarr at the total center. You could still have her as a protagonist, but maybe not singularly told from her point of view. I try to think of, okay, what what would this movie have been like if that decision were made? I think it would be a better movie. I think we lose Mm -hmm. a lot from spending time with this person who is so fucking opaque that there's not much to get from observing them, honestly. Like once you've observed them for five minutes, it's like the same, as you say, it's it's like the same for the whole fucking movie. (laughs) Like, right. what else is there to be gained? But where we could gain some things is by learning more about her assistant, Francesca. Like, mm. Noemi Merlant totally wasted on that role because it really was not very nuanced. And it didn't yeah. get much screen time. And that that could have been more of something. We could have gotten more with the other people in the orchestra. I thought that the, I can't remember what her, I think her name was like Gosha, the woman who was mm-hmm. the principal cellist. We could have yeah, gotten more from her, that. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, I think we could have learned things about Lydia through other people, but clearly Todd Field only wanted us to learn about Lydia from Lydia, and it really doesn't seem like Lydia has any fucking idea what's going on with Lydia, you know? I think that's it. I I don't know. I'm. It's just exhausting. There are probably a couple things we should talk about a little bit more in depth because okay. they maybe are a little interesting and we haven't talked too much about them. So I think the Juilliard scene, I wonder what you mm. made of that. The scene itself and then when we see the edited version of the scene circulating on Twitter and being used to excoriate Lydia. Well, let me say the Juilliard scene, in a way it was disturbing to me because she completely humiliates this young man, in my opinion. He's young, he's an impressionable, he may be saying some stuff, you know, when you're young everything is black and white and that's the way that it is. And a true leader and mentor and teacher would know how to handle that in a gentle way, either a private way. She basically uses him as her as her uh, soapbox, her platform to totally just stomp on him like he's nothing. So that scene was disturbing to me, but it also just went, it went on too long. It was too much. It was just like, okay, I understand what you're trying to do. You're beating this into my head, whatever. And then it just pissed me off later on when they took it and manipulated it and made it to where oh, she, she, she's totally getting this bum rap because they totally manipulated this. It just, it made me feel like that women aren't taken seriously ever for anything. And I feel like 
that this scene was saying, you know what, you can't trust what anybody says because look how the media can manipulate it. Almost, it almost felt like a, a QAnon moment, <laughs> you know, like, look, everybody's manipulating everything. And so mm. I, the scene could have had its merits, but it was too much for me. And then I got mad when they manipulated because I felt like that once again, they were trying to say, you see, when people, even if people have evidence of this, it's usually not true. You know, that's, that was my feeling off of it. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And I think, again, that's a potential downfall to the direction, not making the parallels between those things clear, because I think that's a totally valid read based on what we see happen in the film. Yeah. What did you think? Did you get a different read off of it? No. I mean, I think the Juilliard scene, for sure, Lydia is being totally short-sighted. She's being an asshole to the student who has his own prerogative, and she's not even trying to consider it whatsoever. She's telling him that he needs to w open his horizons and not be so close-minded, and you have to forego your identity in order to... I, she makes some point about you need to like sublimate yourself to the mm -hmm. material or something. And some of the points she makes, you can understand where she is coming from. And, and right. to me in that scene is where I started feeling like, oh, is this, an, is this an... Is Todd Field an angry old white man who's angry that people have these different views of the greats that people want to acknowledge how awful some of these people in our canon are like that's where it started feeling a little like this is going on for so fucking long you're beating it into the bush you really have a point you want to make here and is that your point like oh these woke millennials and their single track mind and we didn't see the student really make any good points the student also had a pretty reductive understanding and viewpoint and wasn't expressing himself very well either but Lydia is the one who got to monologue about it. And Lydia is the one who got to make like the salient points about it. So because of that, it leads me to believe that, okay, yes, Lydia is our protagonist, but she's the one that gets the dialogue time in the scene, right? And then, as you say, to show the chopped version of it where clearly what she said was fucked up and the way she treated a student was fucked up. But this has made it into something else, and Lydia is now using it to defend herself. And I think even the people in the room who are like on her agency team or whatever, they say, if it was just this video, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But it's not just the video. It's the video and this other thing. Mm -hmm. So it's almost this moment of like the film acknowledging like cancel culture over this type of thing. Which is a fucked up thing, mind you. Cancel right. culture over this fucked up thing is fucked up. And we shouldn't be looking to skewer everybody's words just for expressing themselves. But, okay, maybe when it's combined with sexual assault, we think about it a little more critically. You know, is that the fucking, is that the point? Something like that can't be so ambiguous. You can't leave so much of that up to interpretation. I I don't know, but I know that it, the scene brought up a lot of good points. It felt like it brought forth a lot of what's going on today, but it didn't have a clear message about what he was really wanting to say about it. No, it, it made the character, and I cannot remember his name, sorry, it made the character, the Juilliard student, 
it made him sound stupid. It took like the dumbest right. arguments of the internet and it it gave it gave him those dumb arguments instead of giving him actually interesting and informed arguments. It made him into this like one-sided like little bitch who was just like, "Well, I'm mm-hmm. not going to play Bach because Bach is not, you know." And he even referred to himself as I think a BIPOC, a BIPOC pan-gender pan-gender person, which I'm sorry, but I don't think a BIPOC person would. It it felt weird. It felt like not something that person would ever have said. I don't yeah. see a person saying I'm a BIPOC pangender. It it just felt like dumb dialogue written by a person who doesn't actually understand what that type of person would think or how that type of person would view these situations. Like it just lacked all nuance and was watered down in the most insulting way. Like, is this what Todd Field thinks? people who are criticizing the greats are uh, thinking is this what he thinks their opinions are it to me it felt I i was insulted i was triggered by that yeah and is he poking fun at people that don't identify as he or she i i feel like a lot of older people that that sticks in their craw what do they mean they want to be called they oh it's just ridiculous well it's not ridiculous not if it's important to someone and it's such an easy thing to do i felt like maybe he was kind of poking the stick at that you know like wink wink nod nod these kids don't know what they're talking about and they're taking everything uh too serious and they don't they don't understand that what they're saying is ridiculous so I I kind of felt like yeah you know is he trying to make a statement with that is he you know are we coming down you know with JK Rowling is that what he's trying to say he's on her team i don't understand where that came from either again like a problem with this movie is okay if you're going to make sexual identity part of it it has to be examined a little bit more like making lydia a lesbian you can't just make that decision and then act like yeah. her being a lesbian doesn't say things about her and she does mention in that Juilliard scene, she calls herself a U-Haul lesbian. But that's really the only time that her sexual identity is uh, mentioned in a verbal way. And then to have this other student identify as a BIPOC pangender person. That's, that's another time when identity, sexual identity, is, is mentioned specifically. And it's like, if you're mentioning it specifically, you have a reason for mentioning it specifically. Mm-hmm. But that reason isn't being addressed directly. It's being addressed obliquely. And again, like I said, that opens up avenues for interpretation, like what you're saying. Oh, are these people ridiculous? Like, wink, aren't these people just so aren't these people just so entrenched in sexual and gender identity politics? It's hard not to read it that way. It was hori- it was kind of horrific for me, not on the the point of what I think the director was trying to make, but on the point of I just think it was very poorly executed. <laughs> yeah, it felt executed by someone who is not definitely not a part of those communities and definitely right. doesn't have any idea of what those things actually mean. But like, here's a little snippet of it somewhere and thinks they have it all figured out. It felt it just felt ignorant, I will say, just felt ignorant. I'm trying to think of what other, I feel like there were just a couple more things. I don't want to drag this out, but I do want to know how you interpreted Lydia's relationship with Andrus, who was the principal conductor for the Berliner before Lydia and has kind of served as her mentor. But as you find out through the film, 
isn't really seen, I don't think, as like one of the greats. Like other prior conductors have, I don't know, like things named after them and they are remembered and revered, but it seems like Andrus is not as revered as them. And Lydia, you know, meets up and has lunch with him and they talk and you find out she pays for his car service, but lets him think that the orchestra pays for it. Uh, so what what did you make of that relationship? What do you feel like that was meant to convey? Yeah. Was this the one where he was asking for her advice and she told him to be his own original person? Oh, no. That is um, oh, Elliot. Okay. That's Elliot Kaplan, who I think is oh, I think is okay. like the uh, maybe they're like co-founders oh, of Accordion, okay. that organization that I think is meant to help women find spots in symphonies. Right. Right. But this, this is, was this, this is, the, is old the older guy. gentleman. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Once again, to me, that was kind of confusing. I don't know. Like you said, she did pay for his car service. It seemed like I wouldn't say that she had a reverence for him or anything like that. I don't know. I mean, once again, it was just kind of a muddled thing for me of what the two were trying to the dynamic that existed between them. I mean, tell me what you thought, because I, I really I don't know. That was a little bit confusing for me. Yeah, it was confusing for me too, and I will say it took me a it took me a while to realize what what all their relationships were, because yeah. Todd Field just like as I said, he just drops you into a conversation and you don't have any context for it. So you're like, okay, wait, hold on a second. What? How do yeah. these people know each other? What is going on? Like, what are they talking about? By the time you've caught yeah. up and you feel like you are like, okay, it's solidifying. It's like the end of the conversation. On my second watch, I realized that in the scene where Lydia is firing Sebastian, who is her assistant conductor, he was appointed to the orchestra, I think, by Andrus, and Lydia has apparently kept him on for so long because of some kind of respect for Andrus. Right. But then in the conversation where she's firing him and Sebastian brings up Lydia's transgressions. Like he asks her, I think directly, is this because of the girl? So he knows what's going on. Like he understands the politics at play here and he's privy to them, but he's just the only one brave enough to bring it up to Lydia. And when he does, she accuses him of being a misogamist. And he's like, no, I'm not a misogynist. And she says a misogamist, a person who hates marriage. And she makes some comment about how Anders is married. And it made me think, oh, okay, are, are, are those two having an affair? Were those two engaged in a long affair, Sebastian and Anders? Mm -hmm. And so it made me think, like, okay, so is that where, is that part of where Lydia got the blueprint for her abuse? Did it come from this guy because he had his assistant conductor be his sexual play thing or do sexual favors for him or it, it's it's it was mm -hmm. suggesting that that was the type of relationship there <laughs> and i thought okay that's interesting but also like why is it only expressed in one offhand piece of dialogue yeah that could have really been explored and been something that would have been very interesting to figure out yeah how did she get to where she is did this come from something long ago or was this a pattern of behavior she observed and 
jumped on because she was already inclined to be that way, yeah, it would have been really interesting to have explored that a lot further. There was also another scene where she was having lunch with Andrus, and he mentioned Schopenhauer, and Lydia said something like, didn't he throw his wife or girlfriend down the stairs? And then there, it was some something that suggested violence, and the way they talked about it was really kind of chilling. I can't, oh, I can't remember the specifics of it, but it was, I think they both ended up laughing about it in a way that was kind of fucked up, and... uh yeah. It led me to believe, yes, that there's probably some kind of learned behavior from Lydia, like Lydia learning the the ways that people act based on what she's observing from these men. And mm-hmm. it's like, OK, that's interesting, yeah. I think. Potentially, it could be interesting. But but why but why only put it in a little snippet of dialogue that people are going to miss? Yeah, because we know, well, we don't know really to the very end that she was someone trying to reinvent herself, a.k.a. Donna Tartt, coming from a a different type of background that did not include all of the privilege that she has now. So she probably was like a sponge, just absorbing what was around her, looking to who are her mentors that she's learning this from? And it would 99.9% of the time in this world be a man because there were, well, according to my recollection, there would not be that many women conductors of such a major symphony. Although at the beginning of the film, she goes on this tirade about just how many women conductors are and that that isn't important. If I if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. But yeah, it it's it's very interesting that she would be like a sponge trying to absorb the ways of culture. And maybe it was kind of a diss on the culture of the 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 culture of privilege. You know, when you think of a symphony orchestra or an opera or something like that, maybe it was kind of a skewer of, of that whole entire privileged artistic culture i don't know well and i do think like you could probably argue okay so maybe he is examining internalized misogyny where does it come from well it comes from living in a patriarchal society where men are the ones creating the structures and making the rules and women have to bend in some regard to those rules and those structures in order to have any semblance of lives for themselves you know, you have to live right. within the organization. You can't live outside of it. So I think it, it. I think his intention is probably to show how the symphony is a structure, and Lydia is living inside of it, and Lydia is learning her behavior from these men. And so this is how she progresses. This is how she gets to the place where she is abusing other women because of this learned behavior. But again, I just feel that is reductive. When it comes to sexual abuse, that is reductive because that is just not how it's going to fucking work with women. I think, again, we would have to be so, so far in the future to even think that that would be and I'm not saying a sexual abuse at the hands of women never happens. I'm not making that argument, but I'm just saying that for this to feel like a realistic trajectory and a realistic 
progression of internalized misogyny, so much more time would have to pass. Like, it just doesn't feel like anything that hits on what is happening today. It feels like it's it's existing within an imaginary future that probably will never exist and certainly does not exist right now. Oh, it doesn't exist. Maybe only in the minds of a lot of men that think, well, things are a lot better. And they don't even realize it. And I hate to say it, there's a lot of women still influenced by that. That's like, oh, my gosh, we've come so far. Things are, eh. my God, no, things are horrible. And <laughs> they're still terrible. They're, they're nowhere near. We have, we are, oh, my gosh, it, it's incredible. When you think about the way, the, what women have to exist in, and like you said, we have to conform in order just to be able to breathe and have a life, but it is nowhere near being totally equal. I don't ever see how we're going to ever be able to do that. Honestly, I hope, but oh my gosh, how do you, how do you come out of a pit? How do you dig yourself out of a pit that we're in? It's, it's just not a simple thing of, oh, well, you know, now women can vote and women can have careers? Can they really? Can they really have careers? There's still so many expectations and so many misogynistic rules put on us from birth. It's it's, and I think that it scares people to even to really step back and look at what what we have to try to overcome. That yeah, it seems like he could have made if he was trying to make those points in this type of atmosphere. Why not make them a little more blatantly? Why why put it in there to where you have to decipher it? Because I I totally missed that by watching it one time. I didn't pick up on all that nuance. So that was something that you brought out to me. That yeah, could it could be something he was trying to say, but maybe say it a little more forcefully. Put it more into the film. As I was thinking more about this, there's also. The scene with Andrus where, as I said, they were talking about Schopenhauer and a woman getting thrown down the stairs. And he was also talking about how Schopenhauer measured a man's intelligence based on his sensitivity to noise. And I thought that was an interesting parallel to Lydia going to look for Olga in that dank basement area, getting paranoid, hearing like noises and feeling like somebody mm -hmm. was following her, running up the steps and falling and smashing her face seemed like a parallel to that first scene. Right. So I think I'm I bring this up only to say that I do think that there is more going on in this film than you can really get on first watch or probably even second or third or fourth watch. But I do believe that films shouldn't spoon feed everything to an audience. But films, again, that are about a message as, or not a message, about a thing as serious as, as this one, you know, sexual assault at the hands of a woman and what that looks like and power dynamics and gender dynamics, I think that you have to have more in there so that misinterpretation is not so easy to come by. There needs to just be a little bit more, either visually, either in the direction of scenes, either in the performance, there it shouldn't just only be contained in one element. I don't think that's a good film. I don't think it's a good film when, if you're not listening to dialogue perfectly, you're missing a lot of what is trying to be conveyed. That, to me, feels like a misstep. And if I were an artist with a point of view, I would want to give an audience a little bit more to go by because there's just... 
obviously things are going to be missed when you're seeing this in a theater and you're not able to like rewind and see what someone said. You're you're just going to miss things. And then it's not going to be the same thing. It's it's not going to have the same impact. The message is going to be totally changed. So Right. Direction through a person with a certain privilege, you can see it coming through, I think, in a lot of the failures for me in this film, where once again, as we talked about, if a woman could have made this, I think it would have been done differently. But in, it would have been in that um, fantasy world where a woman could have gotten this movie made. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. If only, you know, if somebody is going to be telling a story about a female sexual predator, it should be a fucking woman. Yeah, I think in the perfect fantasy society, we could have people telling each other each other's perspectives from each other. And it could just be random who told that story. But in the current society that we're in, we need the voices of experience to speak forward on a message this dire and important. Yes, because art like this is not a political, and to pretend that it is does a great disservice to everyone who interacts with it. So, that's right. well, yeah, <laughs> that's that's it. Woo! That's it in a nutshell, I, baby. I feel like I just I was like in a therapy session. Honestly, I know. Yeah, I know. I really wanted to talk about this movie because yeah. I everyone I know likes it. And just has nothing critical to say about it. And I'm like, how? I know. When I watched it from the very get-go, I was like, you, you had told me, you said, I'm going to watch this. You Watch it. And then I watched it right after you. And as I was watching it, I was like, oh, my God, I wonder if Lindsay liked this because I am not liking this movie at all. Am I just, am I not highbrow enough to understand what's happening here? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I really, you know, if I were reading it, I'd give it, I'd give it a five out of 10. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, not a complete disaster, not a complete horrible thing, but in the context of what the message is, definitely muddled. And I just think muddled and a little bit too much uh, a tour de force type of thing, which I don't like those type of films anyway, so. It made me think of, did you yeah. see Amadeus? Yes. Yeah, it made me it made me want to rewatch Amadeus because I haven't seen that in a long time, but it's sort of a similar-ish movie yeah. uh in that it's it's about Mozart, right? But uh and I think also I don't it's definitely I don't I don't know if I would say it it masquerades as a biopic, but definitely as like a yeah, I would. Yeah, I think it falls into that category, probably. I just remember it was a huge hit. I did see it at the theater when it came out years and years ago. It had some type of hit song that came out around the same time, and everybody went through this entire Mozart phase when it showed up. So that's what I remember. Yeah, I feel. Oh like yeah, it oh, won yeah. a bunch of Academy Awards for sure. Uh, but yeah, it made me want to watch that. It made me want to watch Phantom Thread. Not because these are like movies I love or anything, just because I'm like, I think there are in probably interesting parallels to be made to Tar. But. And you know what? I think I think we should end this on a good note, uh, a very good thing. And you had mentioned that you did not dislike films about difficult women. So why don't we why don't we talk about just give some recommendations real quick. What are some films that you like that showcase difficult women? 
Well, I definitely like Young Adult, which is uh, Diablo Cody scripted film. I think it did Jason Reitman direct it. Yeah. And it's about a woman who is very flawed and very fucked up. And I think it does a lot of interesting things and it creates a really nuanced character at its core. I also liked Raw, which we Ooh. have we no, we didn't talk about that one. It's probably come yeah, up though. It's a tough one. It's a good one, yeah. but it's tough. It's a good one, but it's tough. And I think that one is probably streaming somewhere. That's that's a good movie. Um, and I think also Morvan Collar has a difficult woman at its center who makes questionable choices. A woman under the influence, oh. of course. And of ones we've talked about, we've talked about Possession and Jawbreaker, and both of those have women behaving badly in them. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Those are all good films. I was thinking one that I saw years ago that I loved was To Die For with Nicole Kidd. Oh, yeah. I yes. loved all the performances and brilliant. And one that I saw not too long ago, Lindsay, I don't know if you told me to see this or why I saw it, but I watched it's an old movie from 1945 with Jean Tierney, Leave Her to Heaven. Yeah, I probably did tell you. Maybe, I'm sure. Yeah, you probably told me to watch that. But once again, uh, something, a, a blast from the past that it talks about a woman who makes some very interesting choices. And I thought it was kind of a very enjoyable, insightful film to be from 1945. And Jean Tierney gives a great performance. So that was another one. Yeah, I so liked. if there are any movies that you can think of that have a woman at the center who is behaving badly or who is a narcissist or a megalomaniac or whatever, recommend those to us. We would we would like to watch them. And let us know what you thought about Tar. Did you like it? Do you agree with what we are saying? How did you feel about it? It would be so nice to just feel like we're not putting random shit into the void and continuing on in silence. So... Let us know how you felt. And yes. Are you out there? Are you out there? So I guess we will be back at some point talking about another movie. Who knows which one? But thank you for listening, and we will catch you on the next one. <laughs>